0: This episode of Idle Thumbs is brought to you by Squarespace. Wow! Squarespace is the fastest, the easiest, the most user-friendly and professional way to make your very own website, portfolio, blog, or online store. And if you go to squarespace.com and use the offer code Thumbs when you are ready to check out, you will get ten percent off your first uh, purchase of a website or domain. That is Squarespace.com with the offer code THUMBS. We leave All one right. chair empty for Nick Brecken. <laughs> Classic. He sits in it anyway. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Man, I'm getting a lot of like audio farts happening. I don't know what that is. Like what kind of farts? What do you mean by that? Uh, it literally sounds like farts.
2: <laughs> oh, it's, <laughs> it's probably because <just> <laughs> Chris is just touching the headphone jack when using ah, his phone. Okay. Oh, I bet that's, <laughs> what, that's what it is. Sorry. <laughs>
1: It sounds like I'm being trolled. Other things, I mean, like... It's
2: unbelievable. It's January 2018.
0: And this is Idle Thumbs 315. I am Chris Remo.
2: I'm Nick Brecken. I'm Jake Rodkin. Welcome to 2018. Oh, thanks, Chris. Welcome to it. Thank you. I am welcome to it. Welcome to 2018. Take what you want. That's that's the <laughs> that's, that's the theme of the year? Yeah. yeah, I think so. I'm pretty sure that's what it's going to be. Yeah, take mm. what you can get. Yeah, take what you is can get. get. Mark. Take, Mark. take what you can get, I think, is the better <laughs> way of saying it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. There's not much left.
0: Well, uh, in that spirit, I guess, <laughs> let's, uh, let's let's look back over the year, this mm. past year. And see what we can pull from the wreckage of 2017 that stuck with us. Uh,
2: we can pull a lot of great video games, actually. I think
0: it's true. Yeah, I mean, I think this is going to be. I think 2017 is going to be seen as a year with very different goatee opinions. Very different mm. Game of the Year. I mean, I think like Zelda is a pretty obvious. It's going to be. I think
2: it's going to be different Gody opinions, I, but drawn from a fairly tightly knit. Bank of games, like, you think I, so? I think so.
0: Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I guess the ones that really stick, the, the two that stick out to me as feeling like the zeitgeist of 2017, and I don't know if you guys have uh, like maybe there are things I'm that are slipping my mind, but like the two big ones to me are the Legend of Zelda: Breath of the Wild and Player Unknown's Battlegrounds. Those feel like games that, on different platforms, in some, I'm um, probably to large extent, very different audiences, but really like captured a massive amount of air in the room Mm in 2017 both i think because not only were they both a lot of fun but i think both of them were extremely surprising to people zelda Mm -hmm. because it obviously it's a zelda game and zelda games always sort of come with sort of an air of like kind of pre-coronation like dusted over them already but the notable thing about breath of the wild i think was that it was so ambitious
2: and big and fresh feeling yeah not it it had that zelda pre-destiny but it wasn't like it was mechanically very different than the previous ones
0: and then Mm -hmm. player unknown's battlegrounds obviously sort of slightly differently i think so I, I say this as someone who is less deeply familiar with PUBG as I am with Zelda Breath of the Wild, which I played for dozens and dozens of hours. PUBG I've played several times, but not enough for me to sort of personally speak to it with authority. But definitely you even just being aware of the conversation around it and having played it for a few times, it feels like that game took a lot of things that have been in the air in terms of large-scale online multiplayer and just multiplayer in general for years now, and really sort of crystallized them into something incredibly elemental and fun, and just perfectly speaking to what a lot of people wanted.
2: You could say that yeah. literal sentence about Breath of the Wild and PUBG. I think.
0: Yeah, I guess. I guess that's in true. very different that's ways. True, I guess that's, that's true. Like, true. Yeah, part of yeah. what
2: yeah. part of what made Breath of the Wild so shocking was that it looked outside of of Zelda and outside of its own legacy and brought a ton of things in that had sort of had been... Like, if Zelda was sort of the root of the action RPG tree that has been growing for 30 years, it feels like they took... Or the trunk. It feels like they took a lot of things and brought them back in, but then gave them a very specific coating? Or, like, retreatment, you know, a distillation.
0: Right. while learning from... I mean, you know, we infamously, I guess discussed that game obsessively in the context of like Far Cry 2 and so on. But I mean, I do think, that, you know, for real, I think it's notable that Breath of the Wild really felt like it had learned from and synthesized uh, elements f- from, you know, a particular school of game design dating back a couple decades at this point in a way that like no Zelda game has. And also clearly. from
2: its own heritage, yeah. but pieces of it that it seems like it forgot or sort of got so far away mm-hmm. from that you lost sight of
0: and then pubg i think really sort of said like what's all the stuff that you enjoy about these like big sort of expansive like, sprawling, sprawling realistic survival
2: or yeah. or like semi massive multiplayer games right yeah. but
0: boiled down to the most kind of intense <clears throat> elemental version of it possible right like th- th- even though i didn't i didn't play that game a ton that's more because i just don't Play a lot of multiplayer games at this point. Yeah, its for,
2: appeal is is revealed to you instantly oh, yeah, in a way it's that like so is not much, true. I don't think with Daisy or uh, even or yeah, even with like a, a no. Battlefront game.
0: Yeah, because it's it it it. I mean it, and I think this you could say literally the same thing about Zelda. What I'm just going to say right now, which is that it simultaneously feels incredibly accessible and incredibly inviting, but also incredibly deep both deep and broad. Like, that and is I think an incredible... And de- I think the
2: potential depth is communicated really early on in both of those yes. games, even though you don't... But, but at least yeah. I personally didn't feel put off by it in either of them, which is not true for me usually. Like, when I when I play most multiplayer games that have a high skill ceiling and when I play mm-hmm. most sprawling, open, single-player super crafting and leveling and upgrading heavy games, I'm usually just destroyed by both choice paralysis and by my awareness of my own personal current skill ceiling. And I didn't feel that in either of the ca- yeah. in either case with these games.
0: Nick, how much PUBG have you played? Because you're someone who I would say has more of a tolerance for the the sort of intricate, fiddly, sometimes brutal yep. world of online multiplayer and, and than I do.
2: Nick, I think your ability to sense uh, the walls on these things um, quickly sometimes happens better than Chris and I can, where you just go, well, actually, this is why you guys missed some huge <laughs> point about why it's yeah. bad, and then we feel bad. No,
1: I mean, I, I, I haven't played a ton of PUBG. I've played, you know, a fair amount, but I think, like... I mean, one of the things that I think uh, PUBG does really well... Um, I mean, both of these games... It's, it's true, both games, again. But, I mean, they're both very, like, clippable games, you know? Like, I that's think, um, yeah. That's, I mean, so, I think... That's
0: so true. That so speaks to the modern time as well, yeah.
1: Yeah, it, like, Overwatch uh, does this, you know, in sort of a, a very algorithmic way. But I feel like PUBG, on kind of, like, the massive multiplayer scale... Like, if you look at... Um, if you look at, like, a Battlefield game, you know, like, you often see, like clips of like cool things that happen but like usually that's within the context of just like hours and hours of just sort of grinding down a team or like trying to capture a flag but i feel like PUBG kind of makes it a little um it's 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 a more like intimate experience like you're you know like especially if you're playing with like a group of like two or or you know three other people it it you know you're you're just uh you have that kind of micro view of what the game is yeah, for you. And totally. then there's the macro view of like, oh, okay, eventually this is going to get, you know, boiled down to, to, you know, just a few people. Like, I just think like, and it, you know, we talked about kind of the esports angle too, which it's, I think it's sort of interesting, you know, just to watch how that stuff is evolving. It's just kind of, you know, that's a whole other angle to it that I feel like was, was kind of just fascinating um and uh continues to be really interesting so I just think like you know it's 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 the kind of game that um everybody you you can both uh be interested in what is happening on a large scale, but then it's the micro moments are kind of like you know it's just so like clippable and shareable that it just makes you yeah. want to play the game if you haven't you know
0: I love that point so much, and I think you brought up overwatch and I think that's an interesting comparison and certainly one of the things I loved about overwatch was the way it kind of pulled stuff out to highlight mm. to you, but I felt to me that stuff plays better in Overwatch to me as the player than it yes. does shared out as a member mem- of the public because I find a thing with Overwatch that I find also true with games like Dota, which is that there's so many sort of effects and so much busyness on the screen yeah. all yeah, the that's time. True. That yeah, It's like those clips are great and they communicate a lot if you deeply understand what's happening and you can get that yep. instinctive like ah i know this so well that all the subtleties I mean, instantly communicate to me what is cool about this i mean yeah. obviously there are extreme cases where someone gets an outrageous headshot right. or something but a lot of overwatch clips to me feel really busy and hard to parse they're, whereas, yeah
2: they're most useful for you if you're in the if you're the player yeah. secondarily most useful if you were in the round and sort of tertiary if you right. are, are an overwatch right. guy
0: but with but, but with uh, with pubg it's, I mean, there are just so many cases where something totally ridiculous happens and yeah. the basic game system, even though there's a huge amount of total complexity, at the end of the day, basically, it's people running around trying to be the last person standing. So, like, right. the the fundamental dynamic is so but, easy to understand.
1: Yeah, I mean, the thing about PUBG is that it has, um, you know, it has the w- world space of, like a, like, a Bethesda game or something, you know, and, yeah. like, which allows it to have a kind of pacing it's, it almost feels more like a single player game in the sense that you can have yeah, these like until it doesn't. <laughs> lul- yeah, until it doesn't. But I mean, like, but yeah. that's what that's what I think makes makes these clips and and sort of you know makes the experience itself interesting because it is this mm-hmm. sort of you know you can have kind of that Far Cry Two like lull in the action where just nothing is happening and then just like an instant yeah that a jeep uh, tears
2: over a hill a, and then yeah. kills you but then it turns yeah. out the jeep didn't kill you because yeah. you were sniped yeah. by a completely different yep. guy. Oh yeah, that right. Was Which is just yeah clip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, that was amazing. yeah.
1: Yep. yeah <laughs> but i mean these moments are just like in like really God, cinematic that, right that was i mean like they're watching just, the they're fucking so good.
0: yeah that was like watching the yeah z- cinematic yeah i was like watching the fucking zapruder film it's yeah. like he, he thinks he gets totally plowed by by uh sub truck but then you see it from then, the, then like, in the kill cam camera. it's like <laughs> wait why, why is the
2: kill cam this guy
0: yeah felt <laughs> <laughs> like what what <laughs> the fucking from from the grassy
2: knoll this guy yeah. totally punks yep. you
0: yeah amazing But that's mm -hmm.
2: also so readable, like Nick said, I think because of the space and the pacing and just also
0: because... Oh, the space and the pacing?
2: Yeah. I mean, (laughs) and like a thing that we talk about a lot, not, not in a necessarily judgmental way, but the fact, and like sometimes it's kind of gross when this is true, but the fact that PUBG models just like a real world place with real cars and real weapons and humans yeah. that the, was the, that the, was
0: actually something I had the to imagery myself is over yes initially. it, it, like, it yeah. is
2: it, i find it like kind of gross and i wish that it was more heightened but i also think the the sort of its sparse aesthetic means that when a noisy thing punctuates yes. into it suddenly, yes. you can read it really cleanly. That's exactly right. What's and happening. That's part mm. of my.
0: That's part of my contrast with a game like Overwatch, which is a. I mean, don't get me wrong. Overwatch, brilliant, incredible game and an incredible achievement. And its visual uh, design is fantastic. And its visual design is fantastic. But the visual design is also part of what makes those clips noisier and harder for me to read. Part of yep. what makes PUBG easy to read... Part of it is the syst- the game systems, for sure. Part of it is that it's not class-based, so you don't need any of <clears> that, <throat> that meta information about right. classes. That's huge. But part of it is also, honestly, that... PUBG is just so simple looking like the visual design is so like realistic and stripped down and so I mean I just very easily understand. Fun
2: counterpoint to this though I mean the the visual style might not actually be what it is and it might just be that those games that PUBG is just about huge amounts of open space and Overwatch is about people leaping through corridors because Breath of the Wild is an incredibly Um, stylized game but it's uh, eminently readable and all of its moments people share you can entirely understand what's going on. Yeah
0: that's true but I would say. The humans per square meter density is just very low. That's true you're right. I guess the point I'm trying to make is just that there isn't a lot in the way. Like, I mean, Overwatch literally just has like tons of effects and UI and all kinds of stuff all over it all the time. And part of that I think comes hand in hand with it being um, sort of a really pumped up uh, game with with like a lot of sci-fi conceits and all sorts of things where there's like lasers and like all sorts of stuff in it that it's like if I don't know what that does. It doesn't necessarily – it's not necessarily clear to me why the thing that it's doing yeah. in this particular clip is notable or impressive. Yeah,
2: Overwatch being a just very full, fast-paced, corridor-based shooter. Like, just if you take a, like, 20-by-20-foot 20 20 glass cube and just went, <laughs> and just, like, grabbed any random chunk of Overwatch, it would be full. That yeah. cube would be right. full. Which
0: is mm-hmm. also, like – I It's mean, part of why that game is cool. It is, yeah. yeah. Did Overwatch come out this year? I can't even –
2: uh, last Remember? year, no, okay, it came no, out last, that was year. last okay,
0: year. Okay, okay. okay. <clears throat> so it's not necessarily. Part so why of are we fictional. even talking well, about it? Well, <laughs> I was just because I mean, it's all everything is so it's so different <laughs> yeah. now, right? Like, I mean, a game comes out in a given yeah, year, but then it's that's stays a game that definitely has
2: had legs through this year. It still yeah. feels like it's and then of... games
0: die in a given year. Like Jake, you were just even talking about that before we started the podcast. Um,
2: like you were referring to a oh yeah, there was a Polygon article about the best game that was killed this year. It uh, <laughs> was Flappy Bird. <laughs> yeah, uh, because iOS updated to i think only support 64 bit applications and flappy birds obviously never going to be God, updated. That's so sad. Mm, yeah, there's a bunch of that's good really sad. a bunch of good iOS games died this year in iOS 11. Yeah. Um I don't know if it's worth getting into them, but there's something yeah. I really miss. RIP Flappy Bird. Yeah, for sure. RIP Flappy God, Bird. God,
0: I loved Flappy Bird. I played so much Flappy Bird. <laughs> Definitely pour one out for my my
2: man Flappy Bird, for sure. Um, <laughs> You'll pour one out, and then it will drop way more quickly than you think off the screen. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um,
0: man. All right. So that's a lot of words, weirdly said on Zelda and Player Unknown's <laughs> Battlegrounds. Yeah, <I> mean, uh, <laughs> but those are—I mean, those were. I think the, those are two
2: Oof. of the most discussed games. Which is the way that you opened that, and sort of they took up a lot—the most air yeah. in the world in the room this year. Mm-hmm. And I think those are also probably my two both favorite and most played games of this year. Actually PUBG is not my most played, but I have the, You probably m- played more PUBG than than Nicker I did, yeah, which is an unusual. I, uh, yeah. sp- that that's situation. true and that that speaks Although, to to it being a thing that I like to call. That said,
0: you've also played far more Team Fortress 2 than either of us have so maybe for you it's just finding the right one of
2: those yeah this game has yeah. just clicked with me in, yeah. that, in a very similar mm-hmm. way actually to TF even though the obvious comparison to, from Team Fortress 2 is Overwatch yeah Um, just for whatever reason this game's hit really well for me on mm-hmm. the approachable but deep and mm-hmm. just drop in drop out feeling I don't know why Overwatch didn't click for me actually I do I, why is that uh, when I was just starting to play it, everyone said, oh, if you're just starting to play it for the first time, you should definitely play as a support class. It's a really easy way to get up and on your feet. And I was like, I don't think that I, that's what I want. And it was just overwhelming. People kept telling me that. Huh. And I had such a crap experience like in my first two or three days playing Overwatch because of that that I just never picked it up again. Mm. I'm sure if I just picked like the soldier character and rocket yeah. launcher it around for a while, I would be able to get back on my feet. But it was so like this is overwhelming, and I don't think I'm helping. Is I there actually... a soldier character with a rocket launcher? I'm sure there is. Whatever, just what whoever a gun a gun character, gun a gun one yeah. one of like the most just rote infantry esque right. hero, yeah.
0: whoever that is. I played as the sniper mainly, which is a kind of one of those self sabotaging things where I always conceptually love being the sniper <laughs> character but I'm like obviously not good enough at it to be Red. a world-class sniper but I just keep doing it because I'm like yeah sniper cool uh, but then I eat shit constantly yeah it seems like you but should, then you I, should I, play I, as
2: a more boring character then observe what the other snipers are doing right, on a couple right, of maps right. and then learn that maybe that's
0: well those especially Overwatch I mean this is part of the genius of Overwatch but like I would I would um, get just enough cool snipes and the game would like congratulate me so extremely Mm -hmm. on them that I'd be like, yeah, turns out I'm getting way better at this. I was fucking mediocre. But, yeah, (laughs) whatever. Um, Well, what else... We we are talking about other ones for a minute. Yeah, what else Mm. came out this year that we were really into? I think probably my single most played game of this year. Um, Zelda might be a competitor to this, but I'm I'm pretty sure Heat Signature dominates my most played this year by, uh, I, I would guess... A pretty comfortable margin. It's hard to know because I don't think the Zelda tracks your time played. But I mean, if it does, I don't know. Uh, but I, think I, it but does. I okay. Yeah. Well, I haven't checked. But but he's signature. I played dozens and dozens of hours of that game, um, and I love it. I actually never even finished it. I think because um, I I don't know. I guess I just didn't.
2: I mean, that game is sort of that's like the good version of not finishing a game, though, where you just kept playing it until you have... you where you put. When you walk away from a game, not because you don't want to play it, but just because you've had a really satisfying yeah. like, meal of it over a huge amount of time, like that's, I, I think, totally fine. Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, the structure of that game is also, I, I could imagine playing it and sort of optimizing it to finish the sort of campaign, so to speak, as quickly right. as possible. But it also doesn't feel like it matters that much yeah. in a game mm-hmm. like that. Um, yeah, but I, I loved Heat Signature. Heat Signature, obviously, well, not obviously, I suppose, but Heat Signature is the... Uh, game by Tom Francis, that uh, the developer of Gunpoint and Heat Signature is this top down game where you hijack spaceships, uh, sort of procedurally generated spaceships that zip around the galaxy. And then while inside the ship, you basically play a top down stealth slash action game uh, in order to fulfill objectives like hijack the ship or steal a, an item from a uh, crate or uh, kidnap um, a person on the ship and take them back to your base. And, you know, there's just a lot of randomization. There's a, lo- a huge amount of space for different play styles and different um, approaches on any given mission. And it's one of those games where the the systems play together so well that it really allows you to understand everything that's going on to to a level that becomes basically instinct. You know, it's one of those games that rewards familiarity and then pays it back by giving you by just continuing to open up the space of how you can tackle problems and when you get really good at it you basically can just turn into a ghostly killing machine. I mean, it's it's which you know, I mean, Gunpoint gets at that a bit, but this game you it you, you can turn your level of sort of whirlwind of destruction into a an art Um, and i would say past a point that that starts to actually diminish the impact of the game because (laughs) even extreme challenges can start to just fold down into into you essentially like just warping through dimensions basically it feels like as you just rip holes through these ships uh but Whenever anything – you know, if something goes wrong and your character dies and you start with a new character and you don't have all your equipment again, you build that back up again. And it's right. it's kind of, it's really satisfying to go back to just having, like, a short sword and a pistol and then bringing all of your knowledge and skills to bear and being like, oh, man, I don't have all my stuff that – I don't have, all like, all my teleporters and key unlockers and all my shit to just make this a total cakewalk, but I'm skilled enough that it's – gr- like, once I'm back to basics – I'm still pretty confident, but it's a challenge, and there's pushback, and there's risk, and you feel the stakes, and so the the game has a great um, sort of ebb and flow in that regard, and it's just a wonderful collection of gameplay systems, and it's really cool that uh, it was uh, you know made by by essentially one person. I think and he has some help. Yeah. Okay. Right. Full time artist. Yeah, and music, additional uh, work for music and things like that, but um, you know, designed by. Uh, one person essentially and it's uh I loved it um I don't think there's as much to talk about relative to sort of the overall zeitgeist and the the sort of surrounding industry and everything like we did with Zelda and PUBG but I definitely wanted to give Heat Signature credit for being my most played game of the year I know that you both have played more Mario since the last episode (laughs)
1: and i had i had not played any mario since the. In, oh, okay the so last, you you have dipped episode. into yeah. mario <clears throat> um oh i i it's i've it's a full dive chris it's i'm at oh, the yeah. bottom i'm completely i'm submerged yeah so oh, had, had you not played Mario last time up time those no you moons. hadn't no okay. no no i hadn't i didn't have a switch yeah mm. oh that's
0: right yeah you only on important of mm. true the other day you endorsed mm-hmm. the nintendo switch your new purchase yeah. Would, I yeah. mean, so it's early days for you maybe, but Jake is more familiar with it. Would either of you put uh, Super Mario Odyssey in the hallowed halls of Goatee 2017?
1: <laughs> I mean, I think I would have to based on how much I've enjoyed it and played it over the last week. I mean, I'm just devouring that game. I don't know about you, Jake.
0: <laughs> Jake, is, Jake, looks, Jake is conflicted. Uh, yeah, my- I'm not saying you're single Goatee. I'm no, saying, I- is, it, is it in the Goatee running at all? I mean, it's fine if it's not. I want to hear Nick talk about his experiences either way. You look so conflicted, but I don't know what you're worried about. No (laughs) one
2: cares. I'm just, I'm just trying to think about whether or not I actually like this game. Oh, interesting. Okay.
1: Yeah, you know what was funny about this, Jake, is I. It's like you spoke effusively of this game on the last episode, and what's interesting is that I went and then played the game. Yeah. And yeah. as I was playing it, I was thinking to myself, I wonder why Jake likes this game.
2: <laughs> like, <interesting. laughs> because
1: because here's the thing, here's the thing, and I don't know if you touched on this, I can't remember if you touched on this uh, in the last episode, but this game is like a very clear homage to Mario sixty four specifically. Uh, I think okay. I think and not, not necessarily in terms of its core hook or 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 all of its mechanics. But but certainly in terms of uh, level design and uh, maybe just even superficial homages like when you talk about the end of this game I don't know how far
2: you are but I'm
1: like, actually I'm actually
2: on, on the like Bowser world but I haven't completed it yet oh man and, the end and of the I, game is the, the
1: very very end is is very very it's oh god the last like twenty minutes are excellent
2: I know that's what everyone says and I've also encountered enough mm-hmm. little bits. Uh, bits yeah. and bobs throughout the world, where I know that the new game uh, plus of this game is going to be yeah, really good. I don't want to. I
1: don't want to spoil it for you, but 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 it it's, is it's a fine. very Mario so, 64. <laughs> I mean, it's bleh. anyway.
2: So okay, <laughs>
0: um, it's worth mentioning. I mean, a-, a longtime listener certainly will know this, but Jake is a notorious Mario 64 detractor.
2: I am not a big fan of Mario 64, but I love Mario Sunshine, and I love uh, Mario, <laughs> and I. <laughs> And I'm, I just um, imagine you trying to placate like a typical
0: no, no. Mario fan? Look, look, look,
2: look, look. No, I'm that's like, not going to placate anyone.
0: But hey, hear me out. I love Super Mario Sunshine. God,
2: yeah, that's not going to placate anyone because people are going to be like, you just have the worst taste in 3D Mario games. But I also, and I like I love Mario Galaxy, which a lot of Mario 64 people like, uh, although mm-hmm. that one goes one way or the other. And I also really like Mario 3D Land and 3D World, which are super contentious yeah. Mario games. Mm-hmm. Um, and Mario Odyssey for me it is such an aggressive mix of all of them that it's really hard for me to untangle because the mario 64 stuff the sort of like it's an aesthetic mess and sometimes it just goes in for like weird platforming for no purpose other than just sort of mario's 3d moveset which on its own i don't always like that much over sort of being immersed in a space or sort of i actually i really think that the best there's a lot of the strongest Mario games have a really nice, consistent aesthetic and feel to them. And I don't mm-hmm. like the Mario Odyssey is such a weird like well, mess of stuff. Like if I, mean, I get uh, it if I get into a flow in Odyssey, yeah. I'm having a really good time, like, within that hour, but I don't feel like as a cohesive as like a, a single Mario game, it doesn't stick with me the way that like Mario 3 or World or Yoshi's Island or Sunshine or galaxy and 3d world especially those two in the mar in the 3d games feel like this is just like a complete visionary take on mario like this game is just a wild mix of stuff and that's exciting but i don't know if it's going to stick with me the way that some of the other yeah. mario games have
0: Nick, I want to hear what you were going to yeah, reply. Yeah, go for well, it. Well,
1: I mean, just well, just from a like a level perspective, like I was, I didn't know anything really about this game. I didn't read about it. I didn't watch any videos yeah. other than just like that. I one actually still new know basically nothing yeah. other than what Jake yeah. said
0: and that one trailer. Yeah. <clears throat>
1: what What surprised me was that the the world spaces are again like very much like slightly, I guess, <clears throat> much larger versions of like a Mario sixty four space in that you. Load into it, and everything that you need to find is just somewhere out in the world. You know, they're just they're just stars. They're like the Mario stars, like the Mario sixty
2: four stars that you have to basically. That exact same system is in Sunshine and Galaxy, but with big cohesive spaces like this. So I don't know if it's just a Mario sixty four homage because sixty four. Did Galaxy operate the same way? I don't remember. Only I sometimes. Galaxy was a weird mix, but yeah, like, yeah. like, like that that first big level with the where you fall, you can fall into the atmosphere. Like some of the planets on Galaxy are big enough that they have an atmosphere. Mm. They're sort of like the blue sky levels, like the one where you get the bee costume for the first time. Like that feels like a sixty four or a Sunshine level. I know what you mean, though. the The Mario Odyssey worlds yeah. are these. Huge well, they all bubbles have, they that have are all... literally just floating yeah. in space. Yeah, yeah. And every every
1: moon has sort of a a line of text associated with it in the same way that like yeah. you know, Mario sixty four had the like you know rolling down the hill, and it's like okay, I know how to get this star. You know, I mean, like it's basically they're they're incentivized like they're 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 uh, the hint system, like the the sort of quest system in this game is very similar. The I, I just found the flow of it to be very similar to Mario sixty four. Like I just felt like. I'm poking around this world trying to just, like, look into every corner and probably there will be something to do that the game, you know, is going to reward me for doing. Uh, and it's I'm just going to be doing that the entire game. And that's the whole game. And there there are, you know, there are little diversions here and there with, like, sort of those 2D platforming, you know, uh, yeah. uh, surprises. But but I, I felt like, you know, I mean, I guess the, the one major addition to it... Um, to that formula is is that you know the, you can kind of load into these sort of challenge zones which feel analogous to like the Zelda uh, shrines, where the challenge you
2: know, zones are also literally from Mario Sunshine, where you walk I, into yeah. a cave and then there's a pure yeah. platforming puzzle with you weird know music. you honestly
1: have a yeah you have a better memory for Mario games than I do I I my my is encyclopedia yeah I, I, I can't fucking remember Mario Sunshine like I don't remember anything other than you could use the paint gun or whatever the oh the no water you gun, what? the water gun
2: yeah you fly yeah. around and stuff it's really yeah, good yeah, you it's, do that water it's, gun. What, it's a great <laughs> game uh it's funny because the way that you're describing Mario 64 is absolutely not my memory of Mario. 64 i think it's the feeling that mario 64 wants to elicit but mechanically does not actually do whereas odyssey does it where you're like oh you just no, go around yeah. the world that everywhere you poke around you're going to find something that's not actually true it actually kicks you out of the level and then reloads yes. a different version of it that has one objective every time you go into it and like right the well, ultimate sort of picture sometimes. it paints no, you it can get every
1: you can get the stars out of order uh, you, it, right, you, but it's you can, still, you can complete still th- them without the
2: hint. It still then throws you out it, it and throws you out. You have to go back it does in throw again, you out. and it does I think throw that, you out. like uh, I don't know, Mario <laughs> yeah. six, or Mario Odyssey is just so hit and miss for me. But that said, I'm 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 I feel like I'm listening on
0: so on important if true our other <laughs> podcast a couple of weeks ago I endorsed a podcast called in our time with Melvin Bragg which is like where people where the host invites academics on to discuss really specific like <laughs> deep topics and then the academic Good. panel is the like, really dumb Mario version of that extraordinarily deep like <laughs> knowledge about one topic like argue about like describe these like the history of <laughs> yeah. the thing with an incredibly deep knowledge and then argue about some mm. very fine point like well 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 I really think that your view of Rousseau theory of, yeah. of sovereignty is a little bit off in this, this case. this is like
2: the star earning structure of 3D uh, post-64 uh, Mario games. Let me remind
0: you, the player is yeah. booted
2: out of the level each time. <laughs> uh, I concede the point. <laughs> well, so the thing that I'm excited about in Odyssey that I haven't gotten to yet is basically the new game plus stuff because it has yeah. like the paintings from Mario 64 the sort of warp you between worlds are cl- are hidden throughout these this game yes. and there's the huge like sort of plastic blocks that I know that I'm going to be able to bust open that are going to create more yeah. sort of challenges and interworld links and I'm I'm excited for getting to the point in odyssey where the walls basically yeah. fall all the way off of this because there's so, one. There's there's the, like a sort of portal esque teasy moment that happened to me early, uh, like in mm-hmm. the midway through the game, where I found a painting and it looked like the color palette of Mario sixty four, and I jumped oh, into it, and I was in, ugh. like I was in Yoshi's house on this little floating island, and off in the distance was the castle for Mario sixty four, but it clearly had a bunch of level geometry around it, so, and I was like, God damn it, I can't get to that yet, but I know <laughs> yeah. that it's in the game and it's not yeah. on the world map, and that I was mean, like that, that was such I a mean, good tease. Ugh.
1: This isn't a huge spoiler to say that.
2: This to, is the goatee podcast, Nick. This is yeah, cx twenty seventeen. Spoil I mean, it.
1: Well, I mean,
2: the, the so the New
1: Game Plus hub is essentially the hub for Mario 64. It's the fucking castle.
2: I'm and, sure that that's that's that there's no way that it's not that given that there's paintings inside yeah, of all these worlds. And, it's going to then, link up to the castle right. full of paintings. And
1: you're right, you're right that the walls somewhat fall away. I mean, like, and that's the that's what I'm in right now, and I actually find it really enjoyable because it's you know those cubes unlock a thousand more challenges, and it's it's amazing how much like I thought I was spending a fairly good amount of time in each world, and like just kind of finding most of the moons and like doing most of the things. But God, like after I beat that game, I went, oh my, this is gonna take like a hundred hours to to do this, and like, but but the I have to say that like. It doesn't. None of it feels like filler content to me. It just feels like more challenge areas that are interesting and and kind of keep adding on to uh, the game. Sort of. uh, uh, I don't know. Just the the general like uh, treadmill of 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 having to get better and better at the at the skill sets that it's that it's you know uh, building up in you. Like I think if that stuff had just been like more content, I probably would have been disappointed and just stopped playing. But it actually, I felt like in sort of the tradition of a lot of modern Mario's the, the sort of first playthrough of this game was fairly easy um, right but but man, then sort of, of,
2: there's more challenges sort of yeah. folded mm-hmm. in on itself the no end I, game
1: stuff gets yeah. more and more uh, akin to something like I don't know having to get really good at like Super Mario run or something you know where you're just like oh like I, I can yeah, I, no. I, I can see this moon and I really need to just fucking nail these like 30 this 30 seconds of platforming
2: that's often and the best like, stuff in basically from I Yoshi's Island on where it's like in you find the special worlds or the dinosaur mm-hmm. coins or the red coin challenges or like in uh Mario Galaxy unlocking Super Luigi Galaxy then playing the entire yep. game with an entirely different moveset oh man Fuck! You can also just unlock a costume that just makes you into the Mario
1: 64 Mario, which is bizarre. Also, <laughs> oh, that's you can good. just wait. Like, are you Yoshi on poly? the top of the castle and just run around as Yoshi? I mean, like, you can be Luigi. Like, it's just fucking. Well, yeah, good. are you like, a low
0: poly? M- Mario? Yeah,
1: can you turn out? Yeah, it on you're low poly. poly. The textures are all <laughs> low res. It's hilarious. I don't oh, know. That's I pretty just, good. That's really good. The, the end. end the the last hour of of this game is is just from just like a single player perspective. Just like getting to the final level is just so good, and then. And it just unlocks this enormous uh, sort of endless uh, well, I'm, thing. It and sounds I just, like I'm uh, right
2: at the tipping point, then, and I'm pretty excited about that. I'm still yeah. worried the middle that drag for me. The middle yeah. drag
1: for me, I think, in the same way that it, it was probably dragging for you, Jake.
2: Yeah, I'm gonna I'm
0: going to intervene and put a cap on this the uh, Super Mario Odyssey discussion, unless anyone has any final point to make. But I'm going to say nah. this is probably on Nick's goatee list and it sounds like it's teetering on Jake's I mean I haven't haven't played
2: enough games for it to be anything other than one of my games of the year but uh, I'm yeah we'll see if ultimately how much it sticks with me Uh, but it's uh, like like it's uh, there's no way it's not Mm -hmm. a fantastic game (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah I'm gonna I'm going
0: well let's let's get through Godey and then we'll take a break Mm. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna add Cuphead to my Mm. list of goaties this year um I, uh, this is not going to be a long discussion, I don't think, um, because I don't, because, you know, again, I don't think this game is one of the ones that necessarily, like, says very much necessarily, like, as, well, no, that's not true at all. I mean, it's, there's a lot to talk about in Cuphead and with sort of the history of its, like, the animation that it's based on and, like, all kinds of other issues that are very interesting, but for... I, I I'm I don't think I'm educated enough on those particular things to have a really strong point about them. But honestly, Cuphead, I'm ambivalent about because the <clears throat> fundamental game underneath it is sort of hit or miss for me. But yeah. like the the to- the complete the height of execution of its animation and visual design is so preposterously impressive and enjoyable to me that I, I, it absolutely, at the end of the day, stands out in my mind as one of my high, just the highlights of playing games this year. Um, I think I said this on an earlier podcast, but I don't know that I've ever had the, the experience before of the way a game looks actually being sufficient motivation to drag me through a game that I may or may not otherwise be compelled to play through—that That is just not typically how I operate. And I don't think that's how most people operate, to be honest. Like I, and and it's, and it's, it's unusual for this to even be an issue at all because they most games simply aren't this hard in the first place. So, I mean, you typically wouldn't even need there to be such a strong pull yeah. element to push you through something because the majority of games just aren't this hard. Um, and The fact that it was so hard and the fact that I still uh, just kept wanting to get through it and, in fact, play at the sort of standard difficulty level rather than the simpler one because I was aware that the way the simpler one works is actually to remove some of the harder content. I didn't want to miss anything because every single new stage of a boss battle was like some incredibly bizarre sort of fever dream idea and it was executed to an extraordinary standard and just... I just really, really liked playing Cuphead, and the soundtrack also incredible, really along the same lines. Um, Just a really unusual and interesting achievement, uh, and one that I was really impressed by. Um, West of Loathing, I think actually I'm going to draw a parallel to Cuphead as another one of my favorite games of the year. In that you played it just to see the next piece of artwork. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, In in West of Loathing's case, I would say largely I played it because of the writing and the jokes and the sort of the way that the writing and the jokes were embedded into every single atom of the game. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, in the UI, in the inventory, in throwaway lines of dialogue. And I mean, in just in everything, that game was actually really funny, which is so, so rare in video games, even games that are legendary for being funny often aren't as funny as they're made out to be. I thought West of Loathing was really sharp. Um, and, you know, the underlying game system, again, not something I would necessarily, that would that would on its face drag me through a whole game. I mean, it's a pretty simple um, sort of JRPG-derived uh, turn-based combat system and then dialogue trees. Uh, that said, the fact that the, the gameplay didn't overextend itself into something too Baroque and... um kind of uh, over complex also actually made it easy for me to just keep playing through it. I actually completed that game, which is not something that I would typically do for uh, this kind of of RPG. It's just not, you know, not often my cup of tea, but I played all the way through it and I really enjoyed it. Largely because it was so charming, and honestly, Jake, you were joking, but the visuals are a big part of that. Um, oh yeah, no, the aesthetic you know, of that
2: game is is very sort of simple, but it's actually very strong as well. Yeah, yep. it's very strong. Yep.
0: It knows what it it knows what it is and what it's good at and what it's not good at, and it plays to its strengths.
2: Yeah, and you know that each new location on the map, like it's not going to bowl you over with like its beauty, but it's going to have something interesting to look mm-hmm. at and poke at.
0: Yep. And in the uh, you know, in in the interest of disclosure, I should point out that. Uh, this game was developed by Asymmetric, uh, which is a small developer that made uh, Kingdom of Loathing, but they the uh, two of the leads of that uh, studio work in the same office that Jake and I do. And I, in fact, sit next to Zach Johnson, who did all the art in this game and much of the writing.
2: And they record their two weekly podcasts in this very <laughs> oh, yeah, same room right. as us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. The Kingdom of Loathing podcast and uh, Video Games Hot Dog. Um, are Recorded on these same microphones, uh, but yeah, I really liked West of Loathing, and I, I am very confident I would feel that way whether or yep. not I, I knew those folks. Um,
1: I uh, I want to give like a really quick nod to yeah. Oxygen Not Included. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, cool, which is a game that I don't for whatever reason, I don't know if it if it if it really picked up in the mainstream. Yeah, I don't know, um, it doesn't
0: seem like it's caught fire the way that, for yeah. instance, uh, uh, like, um, God, what is their huge? Like, game? don't, starve don't,
1: don't starve. starve, don't starve, don't yeah, starve. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I mean, I like. I, there's probably a reason for that, like you know, and I could get into it, but but without without sort of entering a long discussion with myself, uh, <laughs> I just think that like, <laughs> I mean, it it, it uh, that game really just. Like it hits me in a in a in a place that it just the intersection of all of the things that it's trying to do is just a, a really big sweet spot for me like it just it's one of those games that um you know it's a survival thing, but it really feels more like a puzzle game in the sense that you're kind of like managing you know what it feels like honestly it feels like an anno game to some extent um where you're huh. you're having to kind of balance resources just right. Yeah, uh, and then f- and find totally, that f- yeah. constantly find that sweet spot of of uh, of of you know sort of managing like a colony of people, um, and the difference in this case is that it kind of combines that with really brutal uh, survival mechanics where yeah. just anything can go wrong and instantly everything y- your base just explodes and you're just done. Yeah, um, which just like oh god, like the which which also often means that you know you're not playing it for infinite hours, you know? You can kind of Mm -hmm. give it a shot for, like, 30, 40 minutes, and if your colony is just eating shit, then you're just going to restart and try it again tomorrow, which I find is a nice sort of loop of kind of playing Mm -hmm. the thing where, like, I don't... I don't... I know you know that eventually this this colony is just gonna run out of of resources and so therefore i'm not investing in it as this sort of perfect terrarium which i think we've talked about chris like i think that's that's the version yeah. of this game that you would probably really enjoy <laughs> uh, i like i like yeah, knowing that like i'm going that to fail knife edge of disaster oh, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah i love being on that knife edge and it's yeah. just uh oh yeah, god totally. it really it's it, i played a lot of hours of that game
0: I'm gonna I'm gonna mention uh, one last game for myself that I think will be an even shorter mention than yours. Um, but I am going to call out Thimbleweed Park for being a really wonderful shared experience mm. that oh, I played same. through uh, with my wife, which is not something that we typically do. She doesn't really play uh, video games, um, and I it was but we had a blast playing this, and like it was you know for a number of nights running, we you know we'd play a couple hours of Thimbleweed Park. And Thimbley Park has, I mean, I don't know, I guess it's sort of a spoiler. Not really, probably. But uh, it has some supernatural elements in it. But it is, the reason I mention that is because it is largely a, at the end of the day, it is a fairly human scale, fairly grounded story. Um, and It doesn't bear a lot in common with Twin Peaks, really, in the way that I think some some of, it's easy to draw comparisons to it. It doesn't act actually in substance, but The thing that it shares in our case was that it was something that is essentially human scale, but has some some more um, kind of fantastical elements in it. And is and uh, was like very consumable. You know, it's got that sort of like, oh, I just want to see what happens next. uh, Sort Mm -hmm. of feeling to it while being in this kind of grounded, but weird and sort of strange world. And um, as with. I think a lot of adventure games of that style there are there are sort of flaws to to nitpick but I thought it was a surprisingly I guess I shouldn't say surprisingly I mean it's by Ron Gilbert who you know created Monkey Island's been doing this for a long time but there've been a lot of attempts to modernize adventure games and this felt like a a good example of saying you know what this is a we're just going to make one of these old ones but with decades of knowledge and experience now and smooth out the things that can be smoothed out and not bother smoothing out the things that are sort of fundamental to the this particular yeah, it, type it, of point and click adventure it doesn't attempt to
2: reinvent the point and click adventure yeah. game in any way mm. it just makes but, a really solid one but it's aware yeah. it's aware of all of the, yeah of the last like yeah 20 or 30 years mm-hmm. of of things that have gone wrong and it does a good job of avoiding most of them yep So I I wanted to give a a shout out there to... to Yeah, I loved the Park. Yeah.
0: That was Um, a really good game to play on a Nintendo Switch, by the way. I bet it was, yeah, I bet, I bet. Mm. Um, I played it on my Steam Link, and that was probably actually pretty similar, Yeah, um, except that there's no handheld part. Um, Okay, well, that was a good, that was a fun discussion of some of our favorite games of 2017. Shall we take a break?
2: Yes, we should. All right. (laughs)
0: This episode of Idle Thumbs is brought to you by Squarespace. As you well know, Squarespace is the fastest, the easiest, the most user-friendly, professional, and customer-supported way to make your very own website, portfolio, blog, or online store. And if you go to squarespace.com and use the offer code THUMBS when you're ready to check out, you will get 10% off your order of your website or domain. if you go to Squarespace.com, you can make your entire website. You can register your domain there. Everything that you need is all ready to go. And you can make the whole thing before you even commit to paying for it. So before you put in a credit card or anything, you make your whole website. You mess around with the theme and the design and all the images and the text and the layout of your site and everything. And uh, and then you just press go. And it's on the Internet. I have finally started. As I claimed I would, I have, I have begun to actually make... My own sort of just simple personal site using Squarespace, something I'd, I'd been putting off forever. Is um, it at chrisramo.cool? It is not. I can look into that. Yeah, you got it. It's that. not on any domain yet because it's mm. not live, uh, but it will be. Ramo.zone. Yeah, can Remozone. Mm-hmm. Nice. Can remozone.cool. Uh, Remozone.coolzone.zone. Yeah, exactly. It could be <laughs> any of these, uh, presumably. Um, and if you go to squarespace.com, you can see for yourself, um, they have really professional themes. They are, are, you can change up all the fonts, the colors. You can get really, really, really deep into changing all the different design elements or just stick with the, you know, stuff that they have there. But, um, you can make many different choices about how you want your website to look and feel, and it works on all devices. It's just a good
2: website maker. With, you know, with domains on them. <laughs> so, that, that, uh, your website can be far better than the slogan that Chris just made up for your <laughs> website service. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, exactly. Look forward to that.
0: A better website than the slogan I just made up. That's their real slogan. Squarespace.com with the offer code thumbs. Oh, I had 24-7 customer support. Hey. Oh, hey. Hi. Are we back? Yeah, why yeah, not? We're back. I heard that we were, Mm. and it turns out that was true. Wow. The game I've been playing, uh, I'm really curious, Jake, to hear how you have reacted to this game, because I know you've played it as well. The game I've been playing most in the last week or so has been Getting Over It with Bennett Foddy, which is the new game from Bennett Bennett Foddy, uh, the developer of QWOP, a game we've talked about on and off over the years. I mean, it first came up on Idle Thumbs, I think- fifty. Really? That was when it first came up?
2: That was the longest discussion about co op, and I think it might have never been discussed before that, because Idle Thumbs fifty was when Nick was about to leave for the first time. Uh-huh. And then right at the end you guys went, We haven't talked about co-op And then like <laughs> and then, we oh, suddenly man. had an extra like ten minute yeah. segment at the end yeah. of the episode wow, just to talk so, about Coop. That's
0: so funny because Nick and I I think we f- we I think our like co duel was before Idle Thumbs even started. I think it was before the podcast even began. Remember that um, we were at BlizzCon that time? Yeah, like the BlizzCon is the is the ago.
2: weekend but I remember, yeah. BlizzCon yeah. happened yeah. during Idle Thumbs when you guys were at BlizzCon together because we did a StarCraft II. So okay, okay, uh, Idle, well, then Idle then that Thumbs episode it. historian Jake Rodkin will yeah. tell you uh. that uh, <laughs> we did with StarCraft II. Yeah. 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 All right, so that must have been mm. it.
0: Um, anyway, so Quop is this web game, this flash game where you control uh, a sort of ostensible Olympic... Sprinter, I guess, and you control the four different sort of upper and lower segments of his two legs using the keys Q, W, O, and P. And it's just sort of an infamously difficult and hilarious and completely failure uh, inducing game um, by Bennett Foddy. And it's, we, we, I highly appreciate Quap for yeah. many reasons. Um, and getting he's he's made a couple games uh, over the years and getting over it is what feels like the one with the most sort of production values attached to it. Does that seem right to you guys?
2: I think so. And it it's it's the most explicitly about the things that a lot of his games yeah, are about mechanically. That's true. In its theme.
0: So the um so. Getting Over It is a game you can get on, you can get it on uh, Steam and Humble and places like that. And iOS. Oh, and iOS. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. I've been playing it on my phone. Oh, for real? Oh, yeah. then we definitely have to talk about it. Have you played it at all on,
2: on the internet? No, I've never played it with a cursor oh, or
0: interesting, man. I have no idea what this game would feel like with a touchscreen. Okay. Well, I want to hear about this anyway. So this is a game that in which you play a man who is inside of a like a copper pot or like an iron pot. And you're trying to climb up a mountain and you, the only limb you have access to are your two arms, which are holding a long hammer. Uh, and you, 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 as you, uh, at least on the computer, when you drag the mouse around, it drags the hammer around and you're essentially controlling this hammer to try and
2: claw your way up the mountain. Yeah, you sort of, you have two axes of control, sort of. You have how, what angle the hammer is swung at and then if you sort of pull the mouse in and out or the, it's how close the guy holds the hammer to his body. Yeah. So, so you can it, sort of pull yeah. yourself up and around mm-hmm. things, but kind of.
0: Kind of, yeah. I mean, the, the <clears throat> this game is is um, very explicitly an homage to a much older sort of indie B game called Sexy Hiking that Bennett Foddy directly credits in, I think in numerous places, including the voiceover in the game. One of the things that is unique about this game is that as you play, I was wondering why it was called Getting Over It With Bennett Foddy, which sounds like kind of just sort of a an acute affectation. But actually, when you play the game, you realize it's because the game, as you progress through it or fail, which happens constantly, uh, y- you hear these little clips of voice voiceover from Bennett Foddy, who is sort of sympathizing with you or explaining his development process
2: or whatever. Yeah, that aesthetic is fantastic because they're always accompanied by sort of like light lounge jazz piano. (laughs) So it Mm. feels like like cocktail jazz. So it sort of feels like you're just... Dying horribly or failing horribly, <laughs> falling up this hill over and over again, and then Bennett Foddy is just sort of at a piano, like with a dinner jacket on and a drink, <laughs> just like, oh, it's really tough when things don't go your yeah. way. Yeah, like yep. he's just like just just rolling with it. Yeah, uh,
0: yeah. That voiceover, courtesy of the man who spends every Olympic Games posting to Twitter mm. images of athletes mm-hmm. sobbing. So, yep. yeah, uh, definitely within his aesthetic wheelhouse, and. The thing that I have somehow not managed to put a lot of focus on yet, is, but is the single most important part of this game, is that it is borderline impossible. It is so... It's brutal. It is yeah. so brutal. It is so difficult because you you have such... Li- your, your control over your hammer, which is already... I mean, even in best-case circumstances, <laughs> that's a terrible way to try to climb a mountain, just by pulling <laughs> yourself up with a hammer. Uh, but on top of that, it is just... It maps directly to your cursor, or I guess your finger on the phone, so
2: directly one to one. It's like once you click, then any movement that you make the mouse in on the certain computer, directions. you don't click. Oh, really? Yeah, it's just. At oh, all. oh wow, them, it's always on. Yeah, oh that's, my why, God. that's why. <laughs>
0: that's why. That's the reason that when you said you're playing on the phone, I'm like, oh, I want to see what this is because it sounds like it would be easier somewhat on the phone. Uh, the, I mean, the thing is, it has comp- different trade-offs. Yeah, I'm sure. But on the computer, you never aren't controlling the hammer ever. <laughs> so it's real. I mean, it's pretty intense um, because you, you can't ever like readjust your hand or anything because you'll flick your hammer. And <laughs> probably what will happen is it'll knock you off the mountain and you'll fall all the way back to the fucking bottom
2: of the goddamn thing. Right. And Amazing. And there's no, I
0: mean, there's no <laughs> checkpoints. There's no sa- there is saving, but saving is just when you quit the game. It's literally where you are. So if
2: you throw yourself off the mountain, you've saved. Usually,
0: (laughs) the point at which you quit is the point at which you've just finally gotten to the new highest point you've ever reached, and then you minorly fucked up in some way that sent you sailing all the way back to the bottom, and you're so crushed and sad that you quit the game. And don't worry, the game has (laughs) saved your progress. Early, There's actually an early bit of voiceover in the game where Bennett says... And don't worry, I'll always save your progress, including uh, including your mistakes, I promise. Or something like that, which <laughs> sounds like, the funny thing is when, when he said that, I, you know, and I hadn't yet quit the game for the first time, I was like, oh, is he kidding? Like, this, is this like a total troll? And actually, every time you launch the game, it's just there is no save, and it's just going to start from no, the beginning. You meant I, exactly what he, he said. You meant exactly what he said, and that's way more of a troll than <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> than any other possible thing could be, because you're going to fuck yourself over worse than than the game ever could. Um, anyway, it's 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 a really specific, strange experience because Quap, which is clearly a precursor to this game, the one in which you sort of have to run a hundred meters using this absurdly awkward control scheme. Um, Quop is sort of more impenetrable in that it's way harder to understand initially mm. how the buttons you press actually directly correlate to what your character is doing. But the difference is in Quop, you're running across a flat surface until the end. So once you do get it, once you actually can consistently <clears> replicate <throat> basically a run cycle by hitting these keys and then you get good at, it, good at it enough to be able to sort of correct in real time if you slightly mess up then you can pretty much get good at Quop. Whereas in getting over it with Bennett Foddy, the mountain, every new bit of progress, you're faced with some completely new, even more impossible obstacle to overcome, which include like climbing up a sort of outcropping backwards and you're like how the fuck do i even this is i mean you have to sort of launch yourself from a lower point to have enough upward momentum that you can sort of like rocket past your goal and then grab on with the hammer i mean and it's it's and if you mess up anything you're you're you don't always fall all the way back to the bottom sometimes you fall to a lower ledge but often messing up causes you to sort of slam the hammer into the wall which then launches you out which then means you're fallen all the way back down to the bottom do you guys you know me? if
1: this game has an end yes it does it definitely
0: does It does. but okay. i am not any, i have i mean i was gonna say i'm not anywhere close to it but then i realized i have no way to know how close i am to mm. it i don't know what the progress is
2: i saw on twitter what looks like ending spoiler content so i won't talk about it on the podcast but the result of completing the game seems to be very good <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I don't know if I'm ever gonna make
0: it, man. I I,
2: I want to because
0: of god. what I've seen. Oh god, that makes me want man. to. Do it. Okay,
2: so I I, oh,
1: I I am so afraid of starting this game, like because yeah, I know I, say, Nick, I know I what it's gonna do you to me. Played it, yeah. Well, I've been I've been deliberately. It's 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 installed. <laughs> it's been installed for like two weeks. <laughs> really? I've yeah. thought about streaming it. I'm just I know oh, if I've thought I do about it. Streaming it too. I know if I do it. Nick, you b- should a play. You should get over it. Oh, God. You should
0: stream it, dude. This is the perfect game for uh, the internalization meter. I know,
2: I know. Oh, that's true. Uh, this game is just literally an internalization I've really, meter body. I've thought about this it. Game, well, I, yeah. It is
0: like Dark Souls or something, but if all of the... <laughs> every game's like Dark Souls though, Chris. Well, I just mean, I mean, I know everything is the Dark Souls or something, but this is is not that. This is like if you took literally every single component in Dark Souls except yeah. for just the ch- success, challenge, failure Sort of uh, curve and, str- and threw and rip- them away. Threw them all away, and it's all you're left with is this like perfect mastery over un- like yeah. sort of pseudo predictable but like surprising systems.
2: Because of that, this game has done extraordinarily well on Twitch and on Steam. I oh, think I'm like, sure this that game makes sense. this game streamed really really yeah, well. Yeah, that totally figures. Uh It's going back to you saying that. um when you were saying that quap is initially impenetrable, and you were talking about it on sort of the mechanical axis of it just yeah. trying to overcome what's going on, I think it's interesting that uh, quap is also sort of thematically or like from a sensibility standpoint kind of impenetrable unless, uh, like I, I think um, with a lot of Bennett Foddy's games, unless you just sort of in your nature to share some of his sensibility about what's funny intrinsically in the way that you see things, <laughs> right. it t- I think it takes a while to understand, especially with quap that it's meant to be funny. Like, Mm. Coop is just, it was just like Mm -hmm. at athletics.html or something. It just had no branding on it or anything. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, getting over it still has, like, it's a very distilled version of what Bennett Foddy likes, but I think that he's trying to with this game, with its really nice polish and with him as a narrator yeah, and the sort the of music. easygoing music, I yeah. feel like he's trying to bring more people into the fold of like, appreciate my worldview about failure. Yeah. Um, as opposed to you having to sort of intuit it by grinding yourself to death in, mm-hmm. in co-op. Like this game feels very much, I mean, it's called Getting Over It. So obviously yeah. it is it is partly that as a joke, but I think it also is yeah. like, like I, I have talked to Bennett before about co-op and he said that it suffers. Like he thinks it's funny because he's him, mm-hmm. but a lot of people like it ends up in like non English speaking countries, especially on like worst game of all time lists oh, and stuff, yeah. because people just yeah. don't get right. <clears throat> that it's deliberate, yeah. and they're like, "I found this game that's horrible, but secretly right. it's actually pretty good." And he's like, mm, ah, "I was <laughs> deliberate. Everything about that was on purpose." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and getting over it, I think it's it's less aloof and sort of sneaky about its intentions but i i like that it's uh it's really welcoming mm-hmm. a, as well and i think that's probably also yeah, that part of why sense. it's successful
0: yeah i mean the character is so, is so absurd yeah on its face and
2: it's just a pile of garbage whose only purpose is is g- can't it can't be anything other than this is meant to be impossible for you to right. get over
0: yeah 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 no that's true yeah getting over it is an incredibly multi-layered title which yeah. obviously was intentional but i mean you're getting over a mountain on the most basic level. Yeah. You're getting over your constant sort of failure. The developer is basically mocking you by saying, get over it when right. you're complaining so much. And then finally, ultimately you like as a human being are sort of reaching a state of like pure nirvana of acceptance of your own yeah. like limitations. I mean, that that's the, that's the part that so you really So this is
2: Bennett ha- version of braid
0: unspin that for me I don't know I'm not I, following it
2: I always, I always thought that Braid's mechanic Braid's like rewinding time mechanic was a sort of in a lot of ways a treatise on getting over it and on re-examining your mistakes and sort of mm. seeing what would happen if I could back up and try again right. uh but it was also impenetrable, and we no one actually knows what that game really means. Uh, is the only textual analysis yeah. of Braid provided by right. its author? Right. Uh, Get,
0: getting over it is, in some ways, an even more honest exploration of that. Yeah, it's, because I think so. there is no literal rewinding. Yes, it just actually sends you back in time in the real world. It's a, it's <laughs> it sends you, you back in space, but you maintain time. You yeah. maintain
2: all of your memories of your mistakes, but you have to just g- yeah, start over. Exactly. It's
0: a funny sort of thing because in a lot of games. Like if if in a game with sort of a combat and with combat mechanics and a death state, if you die and are then sent back to a checkpoint, Mm -hmm. that's kind of like what happens in Get Over It. But in Get Over It, it's so much more punishing and tragic. Even if the sort of result is very similar, because you know that your character and by extension you are actually still in that world where you failed that many times. Like in Half Life, in I always think of Half Life Two. Oh man, I think we've talked about this uh, a fair amount. Yeah, in Half Life One and Two, for that matter, those games, when you die, you're sent back to a checkpoint. But the version, like the version of Gordon Freeman, that completes any given run of Half Life or Half Life Two, if you get to the end of that game, is perfect. Yeah, because Mm -hmm. the checkpoint. Like re- restarting at the checkpoint erases your failure. Yeah, it's and so not that it doesn't stitch-
2: even respawn you at a spawn location. It restarts you exactly where the camera was looking and exactly, exactly where yeah. all the enemies were. So, so it's if, actually rewinding you, time and erasing it.
0: Right, exactly. If you were to stitch together, like you could stitch together a video run of a Half-Life game. And it would be literally seamless right. from the beginning Whereas to the if end you where if you, you never quote unquote
2: stitch together a video run of getting over it, it's literally a guy just falling yeah. a thousand <laughs> times. On, yeah. And then, and then eventually maybe, maybe making never,
0: it. Or or never or does Or never does or just like, the video I, just ends. Yeah. It's totally plausible to me <laughs> yeah. that I will literally never complete this game. Um, anyway, uh, it's not for everybody. But it's called Getting Over It by Bennett Foddy. I
2: think it's for more people than most of Bennett's games, though, other than maybe Pole Riders, which is his one-versus-one sports game. Yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. God, I forgot he did Pole Riders. Yeah, that game was so fun. Yep. Yeah. Well, should we do some email? Yeah, let's email it up. Okay. We got a few emails. Uh, I don't remember which episode it was where we talked about the idea of a sort of video game curriculum. I think someone actually wrote in a asking us about that yeah, and we, and we, we had really sort of a bunch of different takes on it but weren't really sure what the best route was we got uh, uh, several several emails about that two of which were from people who are at the NYU game Center uh, which is obviously part of New York University and um, has games or sorry has a class that is just like this called games 101. So here's an email from Josh who writes I work at the NYU Game Center and I'm pleased to report we have a course called Games 101. Its purpose is to give game design students a common background of games to describe and understand mechanics, art styles, storytelling methods, etc. This means the list tends towards breadth rather than a small number of favorites. Uh, The method of giving students access to the games is, as you predicted, a large lecture with small recitations of 15 people where you actually play the games. Important for this is the Game Center Open Library, our collection of a few thousand games, digital and non-digital. Recitations meet in the library, take a short quiz on the games being discussed, then spend two and a half hours playing the week's four to six key games. This format of 30 minutes per game disqualifies some games with slower starts, but students are required to play a couple more hours of whatever they choose to write about. Each week's lecture is themed to a genre, from early non-digital games to sports to adventure to the controversial Indie Week. Your points about the specific list being an unsolved issue are well taken. The list changes in small ways every semester. Professors argue which students, I argue with the professor in charge of this course regularly, not only about which games should be included, but also how each game should fit into the curriculum. For example, Street Fighter III Third Strike is mentioned exactly once in the lecture, and Charles Pratt and I disagree about why. Third Strike is notable in the history of fighting games for three reasons. One, it's mechanically very different to other fighting games, the parry system is strange and interesting. Two, it heralded the early aughts death of fighting games, marking the last real Capcom fighting game in a decade, and marked the resurgence of the fighting game community with Daigo's famous Evo Parry. And three, it is an incredibly beautiful game with some of the most impressive animation ever. Currently, it is mentioned in the lecture for only that third reason, neither of the first two. The genres are as follows. Roots. Which is early non-digital games like chess, Go, etc., sports games, adventure games, action games, first-person shooters, strategy games, modern board and card games like Dominion, Bridge, and Magic: The Gathering, role-playing games, both digital and tabletop, simulation games, action-adventure games, fighting games, digital and non-digital. Do you think non-digital fighting games means like boxing and stuff? Is that maybe that like means? fencing? Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Puzzle games and quote contemporary games. That is modern indie. This last one especially is a strange banner of games. I've included the PDF of a recent version of the syllabus so you can look through and pull out some choice inclusions. It's not perfect or prescriptive, but hopefully it provides an outline for what pragmatic solutions can exist. Um, I'm curious to hear what you think is the most interesting, as well as if you'd section things off differently. The contemporary header is weird, and I'd love to hear what you think about that and the specific games under it. Thanks, Josh Melnick. And then I have a much shorter excerpt. Uh, from someone else at NYU Game Center who says, Hey Thumbs, it's Jesse Fuchs, the quietest van writer. Uh, that is a reference to our other podcast, Important If True. <laughs> Jake's, there are problems that people have come up with s- solutions for, but are dissatisfied with is the best possible summary of my work at the NYU Game Center, which, other than teaching intro to game design, is mostly teaching survey courses. This semester, I'm teaching American Computer Games in the 1980s, a four-credit course, and next semester, I'm teaching modern tabletop literacy and traditional card game literacy. It is a lot of fun, but I do spend a lot of time stressing over what to include and not include, and even more, how to order it so it functions like a good mixtape or a batting lineup or some other shaky metaphor, because I'm still not sure what I'm doing. Um, So there we have like this key games list and it's kind of amazing uh, because lecture one roots starts with Games going back to like 3,000 BCE in the case of the royal game of Ur from Mesopotamia which I don't even know what that is Hmm. Senate from ancient Egypt backgammon from ancient Persia and then even further back 5,000 BCE knuckle bones a dice game of unknown region of origin Go from 2000 BCE, Mancala and chess from 600. Uh, snakes and Ladders apparently goes back to 1500 in the Common Era. Oh no, yeah, co- okay. These are the, these are yeah. Common Era. I was like, Snakes and Ladders would be a pretty intense. Well, it's still 1500. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And chess is 600. I see. Uh, checkers. Anyway, so that's really interesting. And then and then it gets into like sports games, like association football and cricket and basketball and all and stuff. And these start getting a lot more modern obviously uh, and then it gets into just normal like video games that we would understand as as being video yeah, It's games. like halo and stuff yeah and I'm not gonna go through all these those examples because they're pretty obvious but they the interesting one is that last one uh, contemporary because an interesting thing about all these about these genres is you look through them and there's a lot of games from like the 90s and sort of early 2000s that fit into these categories and I guess part of that is because any sort of historical survey is going to have a lot of stuff not from the modern era. But then suddenly you look at contemporary and these games don't fit any genre in the way that all the previous genres did. And the games on this list are Cave Story, The Graveyard, Alien Hominid, Analog, A Hate Story, Spelunky, Farmville, Minecraft, JS Joust, Journey, Howling Dogs, Gone Home, Flappy Bird, Train, and Sabelle. So, like, hmm. I
2: think a lot of those could fit inside of some of the more traditional genres as specifically interesting y- yes. examples outside of them. They, like the,
0: they, no, no, they could. But what I meant is, like, there yeah. isn't any. Right. Um, There's no
2: th- you mean contemporary games doesn't have any, like, bubble in it other than the time that these games were released, basically. Yeah. They're all yeah, released exactly, within this yeah. decade or right, something. Right. Yeah. And and that they, this
0: seems study. to be very there are no big budget games in here. The closest yes. thing to a big budget game would be Farmville. Arguably, um, Minecraft, right? And I mean, Minecraft, sort of, right? Now, it's like but, now like but yeah, exactly. Also, Flappy Bird, as we mentioned on the recent, I think, Ruination cast, a game that can no, no longer. No, we, we be mentioned it on this podcast. Oh, is it earlier on this very podcast? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, uh, my brain doesn't work. A game that can no longer be played can unless no you keep be, an yeah. old phone or an old iOS device. Yeah, I wonder how they deal with that. That see, that's that's another thing that is just a strange mm-hmm. reality of games history. Uh, And then I also, I'm not going to read as much from this, but I also printed out the American Computer Games of the 1980s syllabus because week one is platforms. And it's amazing because it lists, it starts with the TRS-80 produced between 1977 to 1988. And it just has all this crazy shit in it, like the Commodore PET 2001, the Apple II, obviously, uh, the Commodore VIC-20, and then things that are like the Compaq Portable. Produced by Compact from nineteen eighty two to nineteen eighty seven. I don't even know what that is. I wouldn't even recognize that yep. by sight. That's
2: awesome. That's yeah. that's a weird like there was uh when I was a film student at UC Santa Cruz, there was a just rotating class every quarter called film genres, and it was the teacher or the professor would pick a genre and program a it sort of just it was like a rotating film history class. And this sounds like the game equivalent of that, but that was I took mm-hmm. multiple film genres classes more than I had to because it was just really f- interesting to be exposed to such specific knowledge about a specific thing. Like I took one on melodramas on like mid century mm, melodrama nice. films. And I took one on mm. techno thrillers and, uh, <laughs> but you know, it goes to like, what is the earliest one up through just some notable examples. Obviously that class had a lot of good 70s stuff in it, but is a techno thriller. Like, like we
1: watched like days three, three days of the, days the condor. The condor. Okay, it's yeah, like, that yeah, was, yeah, the, that yeah, was yeah, like the,
2: that was like the, the, uh, keystone of the middle of that. Right. Right. Cause you could I also think call that conversation. Up, was in also there as well. That the
1: conversation. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah, the conversation. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I Yeah, and that, that does seem really analogous to this because computer games of the 1980s, there are definitely some standouts that people still talk about to some degree, like the Sierra and LucasArts adventure games. But all, I, I feel like much of that history is just not part of the... Sort of sanctioned retro nostalgia. Yeah, the stuff that exists love.
2: in the conversation now is mostly stuff that has been sequelized or was really genre formative, like an early first-person game or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's it's cool. But most I mean, of this what looks like re-
0: most of what people remember from the nineteen eighties now in the sort of is like, console is console stuff. Yeah. yeah,
2: yeah. This I like that. This seems like. It actually transports you back to that era and looks around at what the actual historical landscape was at mm-hmm. that time. Cool. Yeah, there, yeah, there's an cool.
0: entire there's an entire week dedicated to procedural generation, which mm. includes games like Free Cell and Castle, the original Castle Wolfenstein, and NetHack. I mean, Seven Cities of Gold. Like that's so cool. That's so interesting. Uh, I noticed there was a there was a week lecture in here for called Construction Set, which was a huge genre yeah. in 1980s mm.
2: PC games. Um, does that include things like Lemmings, which kind of bridge the gap between a construction set and a puzzle game?
0: Uh, this It doesn't look like this does. That makes sense. I would be surprised w- if Lemmings is in here somewhere else, yeah. though, but I'm not sure. But, I mean, there's a lot of stuff in here, including Raid on Bungling Bay, yep. that Will Wright game that was weirdly the predecessor to SimCity. Um, and pin- obviously stuff like Pinball Construction Set uh, and uh, so on. But, uh, yeah, what a, what an interesting thing. Yep. And then there's another email I'm going to read, and then that'll wrap it up for this game curriculum. Subsection here that is interesting Because it comes from a different angle So David writes, hi Thumbs, I'm an academic in a theoretical Humanities department Do you think he means a humanities department That is theoretical or A department of theoretical humanities
2: I hope it's the latter because that sounds like Something from a J.J. J. Abrams yeah. movie <laughs> <laughs> Or like a Thomas Pynchon novel Yeah, it's from yeah. a Thomas Pynchon novel Or Fringe Yeah. <laughs> anyway <laughs>
0: I'm an academic in a theoretical humanities department, so the way I approach games in a classroom is likely much different from how those in games programs would. In my first year of graduate school, I took a seminar about video games from a historian of science who used to teach the same course at Stanford. He was able to get a big, a lot of big name designers to talk about games, uh, to come in and talk about games. When I took the seminar, there were only eight students and we had access to a room with a variety of consoles and a gaming PC. Each week, the syllabus paired some readings with a game or two. While we were all encouraged to play the games or at least watch videos, it really came down to a different pair of students playing them each week and presenting on the games. For instance, my partner and I played Super Mario Galaxy during the week the class was discussing notions of fun and the idea of flow from positive psychology. My partner captured her gameplay while I incorporated it into a video essay I composed. Later, we swapped roles for a week about social media games, and I was assigned Farmville 2, which was much more straightforward since I could capture my laptop screen without additional devices. The course was at its best when the students had played some video games germane to the, to the discussion. I suspect the presentation on RPGs and MMOs would have been unbearable were it not for the students having already played games in these genres. I myself have tried to teach games in undergraduate seminars and find them unwieldy compared to teaching books and film. I received some great papers about Mass Effect and Dark Souls, but those were cases where the students obviously brought their own hobby into the course i think the two main obstacles are time and resources games can take a lot of time not just to play but to play enough to have something interesting to say about them with a book or even a film by contrast passages or scenes can be readily reviewed in class i have friends who have taught video games to a lecture hall of hundreds of students i know they listen so maybe they'll write in and explain their solution thanks for the pods david in durham
2: it sounds like NYU having a library and lab dedicated entirely to this is probably the like most mm-hmm.
0: – yeah. like, maybe yeah. the
2: only way you can get this to work.
0: Yeah. I mean, even in the best case, it seems pretty tough. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Certainly, as he says, compared to uh, books book or, or especially film. films, which yeah. you can just show a clip of like, yeah. very, very easily. It's just so much easier mm-hmm. to do that. Anyway, um, those that is really cool. Um, switching gears entirely. Uh, Nicole writes – Hey Thumbs, something interesting happened the other day. In a moment of searching for something new to play, I started looking at some sim games and couldn't help but notice that truck simulators were constantly in the top list of favorites. (laughs) Every time I saw this, I would chuckle to myself and think, who wants to play a game where you're just driving around a truck? But I figured, okay, let's try this crap out. Surely I will install it, give it a good college try, and then quit after my first delivery. Several hours later, I was hooked. I can't get enough of this damn game. I'm happy to report that the Conlet Incorporated trucking company is thriving. So I was wondering, are there any games you reluctantly tried knowing you would end up hating them, but ended up loving it? Are you quick to dismiss some games just because you think you'll hate it? Or do you give all game types equal opportunity to impress you? Cheers, Nicole Poulin. Um, Good question. Do you guys have any examples of these? Ooh.
2: Hmm. I do. Go for it. Um. The example for me is is probably an example that many people will be incredulous of or annoyed by, because it's Civilization. Uh, I played Civilization One in the computer lab for school, uh-huh. and it was fun. But by I, school, be more I mean specific. like elementary school. Yeah, Our okay. elementary school got a mm. bunch of like IBM VGA based workstations, yeah, yeah. and they were like, "Oh, we'll teach. We could have this learning as fun thing with Civilization," and I liked it, but I never really got into it, and it it sort of rotted away in my brain as a thing that just was for other people especially like um I sort of got more into general games culture in the era of Civ 4 mm. um when the people who liked a civ game really liked it and <laughs> talked about it yeah. the ways that someone who really likes something that is as sure. potentially deep as civ talked about it, and I went this doesn't seem good um but I finally when I got civ 5 I civ 5 was so graphically intensive that it destroyed my computer Mm -hmm. but i would basically it was when i was working at telltale and living in san rafael i would play um civ 5 especially in the first like couple months of it coming out until basically my gpu would overheat and my computer would stop working (laughs) um and that was like that was like ingrained years of not really caring about civ games i mean i was I sure. respected and understood them but it was no, always no, no. that's not for me I would not
0: expect you to gravitate uh, towards a Civ game yeah, but yeah, yeah.
2: yeah I, but I did that and the, um, the other example is more modern I talked about this on the podcast when I played Golf Story on the Switch mm. I would never play a game like that except um, like just it's kind of like uh, it's a golf game and it's also sort of vaguely like Pokemon or uh, JRPG like light really light JRPG like 16 mm-hmm. bit era inspired I hate those usually like I <laughs> yeah the number of times that people tried to get me to play, like, Chrono Trigger, a, a dozen. And the number of times that I got past the first 20 minutes, zero. Yeah. Um, but I think actually playing... I talked about this... When I talked about Golf Story, I talked about this on the podcast, but playing Breath of the Wild and it having sort of extraordinarily light versions of a lot of that sort of, like, uh, just managing multiple screens worth of shit, mm-hmm. I got acclimated enough to it that I... Kind of wanted to chase another light version of that down, and then uh, i've still I'm still you know at most maybe four hours into golf story, but the odds that I will pick up another game like that now way higher, and that's mm. kind of distressing yeah. to me because right. uh <laughs> I don't like those games was one right. of the few like things that has stayed true in sort of my <laughs> palette of games right. uh, yeah. and sort of what I search out for since the Super Nintendo at yeah. least mm-hmm. yeah, so
0: yeah. I mean, I already talked a lot about Cuphead this episode, so I won't at length, but that was a game that I was pretty convinced I wouldn't like just based on what the videos were. I mean, I knew it looked incredibly beautiful, which is the reason I ended up yep. playing it ultimately, mm-hmm. but I was pretty confident that I would just suffer through the rest of it just for that, and it, that ended up sort of being the dynamic, except it didn't end up being suffering. It ended up being like, oh, I'm actually enjoying this. It's, you know, maybe it's not the most amazing part of the game, but but I actually am legitimately enjoying pretty much all parts yep. of this game, and I, I don't I mean I like brutal platformers in a lot of ways. I mean Spelunky is one of my I mean easily one of my favorite games of all time, but that's a very different kind of it. Like a the thing challenge in Spelunky li- is different. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I've never liked the sort of Mega Man style.
2: Yeah, the rote rote pattern difficult. memorization I d- I and sort of sequ- not, or sequence yeah. memorization.
0: Yeah, and mm. I never really I never really got into shoot 'em ups. You know the sort of bullet hell. Thing, like never really got into any of that, and Cuphead, I would say, includes kind of elements from both of those. Yeah. Um, but something about the total uh, alchemy of the entire thing ended up really working for me. I will say that in general, in my life, the number of times this happens though has decreased a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I, when I was a kid, I, yeah. I would say I would just I would play literally anything, but. The what I had access to was just severely limited, you know. I mean, I would I would play anything of wildly differing genres, but that would be like one or two games a year, in most cases total, Mm -hmm. you know. So I mean, I would I would I had no like discrimination towards any genre. It was just like, oh, cool, this is a thing that I can put on my computer. Great, definitely do that. Um, And then, as I got, I would say when I was like in Towards college, I started kind of like just playing adventure games. Um, for some reason, that was Jake when you and I were like really into the adventure game scene. Yep. And I kind of didn't really play anything else. And then you when might have done actu- You had a computer. Um, that was probably part of it. But I think I also just got really into yep. the adventure game scene for whatever reason. And then when we started Idle Thumbs, the original website, I really aggressively played like everything. Yeah, I mean, same. I would say pretty much absolutely everything except like sports games it would it's like honestly the one genre that I've never really played very much um and now the older I get and the less time I have to play games I'm, I'm just a lot more unfortunately I mean I'm just a lot more selective about what I will dive into because I, just practically it yep. just it kind of makes sense mm-hmm. Nick do, do any, do, does this resonate with you at all any any version of this um or yeah, you I just mean, play everything you're just,
1: you're just <laughs> what was your name? I mean, John I P- probably am Q-Q less selective than something? you guys are, but huh? John, oh, John.
0: Nothing. You had some like sub okay no. on Idle Thumbs years sure. ago. Sure. Yeah. yeah,
1: I mean, I, I tend to find something I like in most genres. I would say probably games like Far Cry 2 come to mind where I bounced off of that game hard, and on the podcast, you guys kind of sort of had to convince me. <laughs> Right. that it was worth getting past that sort of I, that happens to me a lot where I'll I'll play too, something actually. for an hour and kind of go alright I don't think I can enjoy this I, I feel like I played it long enough to understand that I won't enjoy it but then people will say no 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 it's an hour and ten minutes is when it gets good and then I'll oh, <laughs> alright Jesus Christ yeah that you know. that threshold yeah. for how
2: many hours it is allowed to be before it gets good has also shortened significantly oh, for, for me sure. where if someone's like mm-hmm. yeah. uh, two yeah. hours in it's good I go yeah. mm, well yeah. I've played zero so it's not gonna happen yeah. right but uh, I mean Right. the
0: comical version of that is like Japanese RPGs where it's like, oh, just push mm-hmm. through until like hour thirty and then yeah. totally picks up. <laughs> no. No. I've no way am I gonna play that many hours total in like the lifetime of owning that game. Yep. Um the the most extreme example for me of Nick, what you just said, was when I tried to play the original Spelunky, not the H D Mm. Remake, which I think was originally oh, yeah, called I, Spelunky World before it just got renamed Spelunky. Yeah,
2: um, the original Spelunky. I remember I played that, and Steve played that, and a bunch of people are like, "Chris, you're gonna love Spelunky," and you're like, "Yeah, yeah, 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 yeah." yeah.
0: You never. Yeah, played. and I know I did play it, but I did I didn't like it.
2: Yeah, but but
0: the, which is silly. Because, I mean, I don't know if it's silly, but it's sort of strange because it just didn't click in the same way. It didn't click in the same way, but the rule set is almost the same. But you know what the difference is? Is the way the guy moves. Yeah, it is just. It is just different and ha- and feels less smooth to me.
2: Bennett Foddy hates uh, the new Spelunky and says the original Spelunky is good and that Derek, you ruined his masterpiece because it <laughs> changed like how you clip over the edge pixels of some boxes and how like jump uh, See, jump was, details works. It's
0: funny because as someone who didn't really ever get deeply into the first Spelunky, that was the thing that I think those were the exact things that I yeah the fact that the platforming got
2: became a little bit smoother probably That's yeah like more like I, a normal game yeah
0: and I mean. Bennett having that opinion is not remotely. Surprising it's exactly to what you me. expect, right? Yeah. It's. I mean, not even just from him specifically, but that kind of opinion is something that I can just. I oh, can yeah. also relate to that opinion stupidly, not about that specific game, but sure. I mean, I have definitely had experiences like that where I've played some version of something that I. I understood at a really
2: deep like all cellular those Flappy level. Bird alike. So that was actually a big thing because yeah. that game is so about its exact acceleration yeah, curve, yeah. right?
0: And then people are like, ah, "I improved it. I made it better. I smoothed it out." And I'm like, "You, you ruined it. You took away all the <laughs> the beautiful <laughs> friction." You know, I mean, like yeah. I totally can relate to that uh, as a as an insufferable pedantic gamer. <laughs> um, That's your YouTube series that I love. <laughs> <laughs> Christ Almighty! Yeah, I could, I could definitely <laughs> Pick do insufferable
2: way, pedantic I could get gamer. way
0: more audience and sponsorship and money.
2: If yeah. But I not get, if you were just title talking about those were...
0: insufferable pedantic. Gamer. <laughs> but if
2: all that you were talking about, it wasn't like there's plot holes. <laughs> there's plot holes. That's what that usually <laughs> is. devs. But if what you were like. If you were, like, doing, like, Zabruder film analysis of the acceleration curve on Flappy Bird, a game you can't even yeah. play anymore, and while the <laughs> clones suck, where you're like, I've kept an iPhone 5 with iOS 9, the yeah. iOS that was available when the game was released, no change. The iOS on which it is meant to be played.
3: Ah.
0: <laughs> uh. Before he changed these sprites to be non-copyright infringing, they spoke far more to the theme of Flappy Bird, Mario (laughs) ripoff. When they were literal Mario str- sprites, they really communicated the theme of Mario sprites they, better than when he changed them to technically no longer be Mario sprites. Yeah, they really Where communicated he, the
2: theme of I stole these arts because all that's important <laughs> is how the bird moves back when the important thing was just the physics of the bird. Don't even make your own art, just bird physics. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, I would do that YouTube channel and hate myself uh, and my audience. You'd hate yourself all the way to the bank, though. Oh, definitely all the way to the bank, yeah. Um, okay. Uh, let's see. Here's a question for Jake. Jake is the only one of us that I could imagine understanding Shit, this. Okay. Uh what Thomas, if I don't. Thomas writes, "How come Sheik can't use Zelda's magic in Smash
2: Brothers?" Oh, I don't know. Oh, okay. <laughs> They're different characters. Well, no, it's because uh, I imagine. Oh no, when it's when it's Sheik, I don't know. No, it's because it's because I believe uh, Smash Brothers takes place. During the middle of Legend of Zelda: Ocarina of Time, when it's not yet known that Sheik and Zelda are uh, in fact the same character, so, so, you, beca-
0: so because it's to keep not it known by like the player, this like ambiguous entity that is <laughs> oh, Link the doesn't player. know the Link who's in Smash oh, Brothers okay. is just you
2: know he's probably just, oh I see that's so so Link, sure.
0: Link is truly a video game player then in which when in- when information is not known by
2: him or when some state yeah. of the world
0: is not perceived by him, it literally doesn't matter. Yeah, every time to the world. every time
2: Sheik and Zelda change in the middle of this, Link just goes, huh? There was someone else There was Zelda there What have you done with Zelda Why are you Why are you hurting me Uh, And then Zelda comes back It's like Zelda thank God you're safe Ow why are you hurting me And then uh, When the round is over He goes back to You know uh, A Nintendo 64 World covered in fog And rides a horse around Sure Every version of Smash Brothers, that it's the same it's link. Like that it's moment. that link from that one moment it's when right. he didn't know the difference from the two of them.
0: Okay, the games are set at different times, but in the way that that Smash Brothers pulls from all different Nintendo universes, Link is specifically pulled from the Nintendo. That exact w- moment and yeah. at
2: that one point in Ocarina mm-hmm. of time, sort of in the middle of the game, when he's met Sheik and knows Zelda's kidnapped, but right. doesn't know that they're the same character yet. Right. <laughs> and they just don't want to ruin it for Link because it would be sad. Yeah. Like it would be bum- it would be a bummer. Just, no spoilers. Right. It's basically to to yeah. <laughs> Uh, that's, that's the reason I think.
0: Uh, well, you are the right person to ask. I'm glad that I addressed that to you. Yeah. Um, yeah. and then finally we have some more email, but I think we're running out of time. So I will just read this email that somehow has been, I think not mentioned by us for months, even though it is known in the world. Say boo boo. Uh, this podcast is set, uh, Two years ago, constant. We are all drawn from the version of ourselves from two years ago. Zach Warner writes, "You guys, Spelunky two. This is going to kick all the butts." Lovingly, Zach. Mm. Oh yeah, Spelunky two. How the 2 fuck is nice we not Spelunky two? We
2: got so excited by Derek Yu's other thing, where he's making like fifty Nintendo games, that we forgot that he also announced that there's a sequel to Spelunky yeah, coming out.
0: That's unbelievable to me. I mean, it's not. I believe it. It better be real. But it's. I never somehow. I never expected. I didn't it. either. I
2: didn't either. Spelunky
0: yeah. feels like such a landmark achievement but of course I say that knowing that we literally just talked about how it's the second Spelunky Spelunky, technically Mm -hmm. yeah so uh, whatever I mean uh, this is I mean god speaking of people getting upset about the original Spelunky
2: making way for the current version of Spelunky. Oh, man, there's going to be something changed in Spelunky 2, and no matter what it is, there's there's going to be a petition to remove Spelunky 2 from canon, to get Disney to remove (laughs) Spelunky 2 from canon.
0: Disney, please acquire Spelunky. Please delete Spelunky 2 after acquiring Spelunky And then please
2: please also then immediately sell Spelunky because we hate you as well.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Um, But yeah, so many more people have played the current version of Spelunky than the original Spelunky that any, like, this is going to be such a bigger, uh, there's going to be such a a bigger sort of, like, wrestling with what Mm -hmm. Spelunky 2 means. Although I guess the fact that it's called Spelunky 2 maybe will inoculate it to some degree from some of that because they're explicitly different games. Whereas the current version of Spelunky is sort of a replacement for the original version of Spelunky.
2: Man, remember when Disney saved Star Wars by rescuing it for George Lucas for the benefit of all of the fans? And then remember when Disney, those money-grubbing maniacs ruined Star Wars uh, by giving it to any director other than George Lucas? It's weird that that's a conversation that's happening right now. Wait, what was the rescuing? (laughs) What, what? Sorry, I'm not... I, when Disney bought Star Wars from George Lucas, they uh-huh. saved it from the oh, creator. Oh, they saved
0: it from the clutches of its creator. Of its creator who was right ruining now. it for the fans, yes. and they brought
2: it to a new audience, and then right. now uh, they've ruined it by giving it to anyone. Right. I see. I do remember that. It's weird that the... like. Yeah. I wonder what the overlap on different change.org petition signers are for <laughs> like george lucas give someone else right. the power to make a star wars uh right. sequel What's that isn't you and around. then also disney how dare you yeah um anyway Pro- well on that thanks for joining us for our video game <laughs> podcast idle thumbs please don't write
0: us any email about anything jake just said unless it's about the chic zelda stuff in which case please write like, us email. please about it. yeah just <laughs> uh our our email address is questions at idle net and we will take any and all video game questions you have for us our website is idlethumbspodcast.com, and our information is there. If you like this podcast, uh, why not consider rating us and reviewing us on iTunes or telling a friend about it. Uh, pass the word along. That's that's the only way we have, to grow the audience and uh, share this show with the world. Um, we, If you'd like an ad-free version of this podcast, you can acquire one by going to patreon.com slash idlethumbs and Uh, backing at the appropriate level, all the details are there. And if you do that, you'll also get ad-free versions of our other weekly show, Important If True. So on that, we will be back uh, probably in a couple weeks with an episode of the Idle Thumbs Ruination cast, and then a couple weeks after that with another episode of this show, Idle Thumbs, about video games. Um, That's it. Welcome to 2018, I guess. Woo! Woo! I am Chris Remo. I'm Nick Brecken.
2: I'm Jake Rodkin. Bye. 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 Goodbye. Goodbye. There it is. What's that sound? Nick like is crinkling, crinkling things. I'm not,
1: though. It's the, it's the phone. Oh,
2: this bummer. is what
1: I was hearing yesterday. It's oh. just sort of like weird, weird pops oh. and
2: farts. Weird, weird pops and farts. This episode is brought to you by. <laughs> <laughs> by weird, weird pops and farts. G-M-B-H.